Wave Troubleshooters John Bowl, Natalia Martinez, and Mark Stevens take you behind the investigation on Wave Now. Hello and welcome to another episode of Wave Troubleshooters Behind the Investigation. I'm Mark Stevens. I'm John Bowl. Thanks for joining us today. And we're covering again another, uh, it's a long running story now. You've investigated complaints surrounding patient dumping, alleged patient dumping. We had a long conversation a couple months ago after your first episode. Uh, and a lot of where I was asking you about, uh, you know, how you found this and kind of your strategy. You've had some more complaints come in. Right. You've done two more uh, stories. Right. What are we learning now? What's different? Okay, so to set this up, uh, in case you did not see the first installment of this, it aired at the end of June. Uh, in that report, this, th this whole thing started with a call to the newsroom one day uh, from an employee of University Hospital on the way to her car saying that, uh, that security had just wheeled out a woman a uh, frail elderly woman in a hospital gown to the corner of Ali and Hancock and dumped her. And, and so I was on the air at the time. We swung a photographer by and got these horrific-looking shots of this woman in the gown and tubes and her stuff in a bag down there at the corner. So that got me curious, and I literally Googled patient dumping because I didn't know what the law was. There was a law passed in the 80s about it. And I also didn't know until I, until I started doing some research that uh, there were two fairly recent patient dumping verdicts reached in Kentucky for in excess of $2 million in each case. So I started investigating what, in fact, patient dumping is and how often it's um, alleged. And, and then I started watching the University Hospital emergency room entrance myself. And in that initial report, I had a, another case of an elderly woman being removed from the emergency room and taken to that very same corner. And then we also got in, in part one, we got into a, a story about uh, a Norton Hospital allegations that the, a family uh, was lied to about what was going to happen to their son and that he was dumped in the rain at, uh, in front of Wayside Mission and he still needed extensive medical care. And you've, so that, and you've been able, like, and so in that story, yes. to begin with, it starts with just the, the video, but the, the second one, when you, you see the woman, because you're getting it on your undercover camera, yes. if, I, if I recall. So I witnessed right, that. And you, and you interviewed her. I witnessed that, interviewed her, asked her what her situation was. She said she had severe COPD, she couldn't breathe, and she didn't appear to be able to breathe with me. She appeared to be in bad shape. She, she maintained that they wouldn't, uh, wouldn't, wouldn't see her. And so we couldn't really get to the bottom of that. The hospital didn't tell us much, said HIPAA prevents us in both these cases from, from saying much about that. So in uh, also in that story, I interviewed Hans Poppy, who was uh, the attorney for one of those $2.3 million patient dumping verdicts here in Kentucky. And we talked about what goes into the patient dumping, the anti-patient dumping law. And essentially uh, what hospitals are mandated by law to do are they have to see and screen a patient and treat a patient for any emergent medical situations. And then they also have to transfer the patient uh, somewhere that can help take care of them if, if they're still in bad shape, essentially. Okay. So, but if they don't, if, they're, if they don't have a, an emergency medical issue, right. like what, what are the outs, I guess? The, 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 the outs are uh, they screen the person and they're good, that they don't believe that they have any kind of an, an emergent uh, medical condition. So part one comes and goes, four million plus people see it, people get all in a frenzy about it, and uh, I continue to get complaints. Yeah. Uh, 
and many of them are not provable, too late, no photographic evidence, or people won't do interviews with me, but then one comes along uh, that involves a death, and so that gets my attention uh, in front of Norton Audubon Hospital, uh, and I'm gonna go ahead and play that report, and then we'll talk about that. You see it when you drive down Poplar Level Road, next to the bus stop, in front of Norton Audubon Hospital, a pink cross with the name Amber Hall. She was, um our first born niece, and we loved her. Amber Hall's family has been trying to get to the bottom of a mystery. It's been a total mess. Um, I, I've been so upset. Um, well, actually, the whole family, we've just been so upset. We're in shock. A mystery that started with Amber's ambulance ride to Audubon Hospital September 6th and ended September 8th when she was found dead at the bus stop near the main entrance. She woke up and her stomach was hurting, and she said, she was having problems breathing later in the day, and she went to Audubon Hospital by ambulance. She was out in the waiting room for uh, eight hours before they took her back. She And I spoke with her all day long that day, off and on, off and on. Believing she had been admitted, they never heard from her the next day. Then the following morning, September 8th, a visit from the coroner. And the coroner said they found her at 7.30 a.m. Friday morning deceased, but said uh, that she had been dead for a while. They say all the hospital would tell them was Amber had been discharged. They put up a poster seeking witnesses at the bus stop where she was found dead. And we saw a two guys walking from the bus stop to the van, pushing an empty wheelchair. And there was somebody wrapped up in a blanket in the corner of the, leaning up against the side of the bus stop. These two witnesses came forward, who don't want to be identified out of fear of retaliation. They were driving by the bus stop at dusk when they say they saw security guards putting a wheelchair back into a van marked hospital security. They got in the van very fast. He just threw that wheelchair in the back, hit the button, and when it popped back up, they still drove off. They Which suggests to you that they wanted to get away from the bus stop as fast as possible. The next morning, they snapped these photos of the commotion around the bus stop death from the hospital room of the patient they were visiting. It's sad. I wish I could have done more. I wish, wish I, I would have done more. Yeah, I yeah. wish I would have done more. I mean, maybe when I seen them pushing the empty wheelchair, ask questions, take more pictures, checked on them. And once the witness came forward about her being dumped at the bus stop, it opened our eyes about a lot, and they didn't admit to doing that until we went in and told them that we had a witness that saw what they did with a little 90-pound girl, and if she was in good condition, why would you need a wheelchair to take her down there, and why would it take two of you all to put her in the van to take her down there? They say when Amber doesn't take her liver disease medication, lactulose, she suffers an ammonia imbalance in her blood and becomes incoherent, so if she went that long without it, it would have left her dangerously delirious. It's so sad to sit there and die alone in that way and just have somebody shove you out of the hospital somewhere that you're going for help. I, I can't even imagine what she was thinking if she was even in her right mind. It appears she wasn't in her right mind. We requested the coroner's report, which listed Amber's cause of death as acute and chronic substance abuse. She had a blood alcohol level of 0.33% and a slightly higher than therapeutic dose level of tramadol, an opioid used to treat severe pain. The family wonders how she got booze after being taken by wheelchair to the same bus stop where she was found dead. Did she drink herself to death, incoherent from ammonia buildup, out of despair of not being treated? 
in severe pain. Norton Hospital's public relations director responded to all this in an email. Discharging a patient who no longer needs emergency medical or inpatient care is not patient dumping. Emergency room beds are needed for patients who require these levels of care. Our thoughts and prayers are with the family during this difficult time. Due to privacy laws, we are not able to comment on a specific patient's care. We can tell you that patients are discharged from the emergency department once a provider examines the patient, provides necessary medical treatment, and determines that inpatient hospitalization is unnecessary. I shared the hospital statement with the family. It didn't wipe away the tears. Her smile, her laughter, and every time she would leave, no matter what, even if it was for an hour, she would always say, I love you to everyone. I'm a cancer survivor, and I'm like home and disabled, and she's, she's just there with me every day. I, I really miss her. It's just so sad that they treat people that way. I think they didn't want to treat her because they thought she was a frequent flyer and they just, you know, got, wanted to get rid of her. It's like they dumped their garbage on the streets, but like they took their garbage to the curb and just left it there. Just a very powerful story. So after that, they, uh, the family retained Hans Poppy, who was in the initial uh, part one of my investigation who won that uh, patient dumping verdict in central Kentucky and uh, I contacted him right before we we aired that report and he said that they were in the process of information gathering and he hadn't gotten very far down the road as a matter of fact I knew more about the case than he did so uh, he's gonna keep me posted on what he finds out they're trying to find video from neighboring businesses etc of that bus stop we also tried to at your suggestion I tried to uh, get some TARC bus video, um, and TARC told us they have no video, so it's I mean, a mystery. But you did a ton of reporting on that. Not only was it looking for video, but also, I mean, you went over that, uh, the... Uh, Autopsy, yeah, with, with the coroner. Make, making sure you understood with every the line of that. You looked up the drug, right. uh, the tramadol. Tramadol. I've had, uh, since then, I had, um, I've had people tell me that uh, people with liver disease can produce alcohol, um, and maybe that was the, the reason for the 0.33 blood alcohol level. Uh, but the coroner told me that that's, that's too high. That's not the case. So they'll get to that. But they brought up a term in, in that report that then led to uh, the third report, and that is the term frequent flyer. Mm. Um, frequent flyers that the known as the, the, the people, the homeless people oftentimes who go to the emergency rooms a lot, multiple times a day. And and that's where part three of this uh, came in. I got a, I was contacted by a, a member of an ambulance crew, an EMT, who on October 4th uh, witnessed as she came back in from a run with her partner a, a, um, a guy being taken out and, and sat down on the sidewalk and laid out in his hospital garb. Uh, and she was horrified, and she does an interview, and she took one picture before she got dispatched on another run, but she helped the guy out, got him some food and drink. And that got us wondering again, you know, how often this is going on, and uh, and so I started watching again, and I got another case. I got there just after a guy had been apparently taken across the street and, and set out a homeless guy, and uh, what I found in his situation was a story that backs up what the hospitals had to say. We got much more from the hospital here uh, in part three of our investigation. I'm going to play it for you now. We'll expand on uh, what the hospital's up against in a moment. There's a lot going on outside University Hospital, a level one trauma center, medical helicopters, 
ambulances, police, even arrests. But on October 4th, at dusk, something else caught the eye of an arriving ambulance crew. Me and my partner was like, look out the back window. Um, they just dumped that guy over there. I see him laying down, and I'm like, oh my God, they just dumped that guy on the side of the road and just left. The EMT who came to us doesn't want to be identified out of fear she'll be fired. She described a scene similar to the one I recorded in a previous report where an elderly woman was escorted by security off the university hospital property after she said they refused to treat her for COPD and she couldn't breathe. I think it was like four security guards and then like one Louisville Metro Department of Corrections officer because he had the LNDC on the back of his on the back of his vest and then they were all walking him out. She had a patient to attend to but snapped a photo. And by the time I come back out and we go down the road they're already walking away from the guy and the guy's just laying face down on the road. The photo shows the person on the sidewalk south of the emergency room entrance near Hancock and Chestnut, a less visible site than the incident we recorded in our previous report a block north of the ER at the busier intersection of Hancock and Ali. After a university hospital employee told us security wheeled an elderly woman there, dumped her on the sidewalk, and left her like this. The man on October 4th lied there until the EMT returned from another run, brought him some food and drink, then got sent on another run. He was wearing like a, I think a hospital gown and some shorts, and then he had a hospital blanket over top of him. He was laying face down. I mean, he was asleep just right there on the concrete. And I was just like, holy crap, how can you treat a person like that? I mean, how can you just toss him to the side of the road? December 13th. I spot this man in the same spot at Hancock and Chestnut with hospital scrubs under his clothes. People walk by like he's part of the sidewalk. Sometimes they stop and stare. Did you just go to the emergency room? What's wrong with you? Did, did, they, did they kick you out? Why? What'd they say? He has what appears to be a hospital bag next to him with his name on a barcode and his stuff inside. Is your name Charles? Charles Woods? Did they walk you out of the hospital over to here just now? Can you tell me what's wrong? The despair and tears on his face tell me that's a dumb question. A lot is wrong in Charles Woods' life. I honestly don't know what to do, so I call Wayside Christian Mission. They respond within minutes, telling me they're used to this. I hate to say it, but sometimes the hospital puts them out here and they have nowhere to go. You're going to take them down? Yeah, yes, sir. We're going to take them down. She's shelter down. So come on, let's get you off the street. Let's get you off the street. Uh, you want to go in? No, he doesn't. After a long lobbying effort, Charles Woods refuses to go to the shelter. Sleeping bag inside. So they do what they can. We have sleeping bags for them so they don't freeze out here at night. Anything that we can do to help the ones on the streets that don't want to come into the shelter, we'll provide things for them. Now you know this guy you said? Yeah, I know Charles I Woods, I looked at his... Yes, I see him around a lot, but he's one of the guys that just won't come in, you know, but we try as much as we can to help him out. Literally, at the same moment, I receive an emailed response from University Hospital to my questions about all this. UofL Health cares for anyone who comes to our emergency rooms. In the last year alone, UofL Hospital cared for more than 3,200 patients believed to be among the unhoused population. Many were seen dozens of times, and some more than 100 times. One individual more than 200 times in a single year. 
If medical care is not needed or no longer needed, we offer to connect them with community resources. When individuals without a medical need refuse community support and refuse to leave, there is no option left but to help them off the property. So we're in a situation where the hospital can't take him. He didn't want to go with you, so what do you do? I just try to make, I just try to provide them everything the Wayside has to offer someone on the street. Most homeless shelters, including us, do not have medical personnel on staff. We can't uh, help someone who needs medical attention. The problem Wayside Mission Chief Operating Officer Nina Mosley has continued to have since our first report in June is multiple hospitals sending patients to the shelter who still need medical care. They had an Uber driver take him over to the shelter and that gentleman was in terrible shape, could not care for himself any way, shape or form. Um, to be quite honest, by the time he got here, he had bled all over the back seat of the Uber. She says they often call EMS and send the patients right back to the hospitals. You know, we just hope that there can be an answer to this. And I don't think the hospitals on purpose want to put someone out and put them in a dangerous situation. But I think they're at their wits end. And, and then when we get the folks that we're not qualified to take care of and know we're not qualified to take care of, and sometimes don't even have a bed available, then we're at a wits end. You know, what do we do? What do we do? So we need to get together and, and think of some solutions. That's my first time actually seeing the piece. I heard it the other night while I was waiting because my story was after yours. Yeah. Um, one, one of the questions I'm kind of left with is it's almost like there's a line because, you know, the hospital says once, you know, medical treatment is no longer needed. Right. And if, and if they refuse community resources, yep. you know, we can't tie up this bed. We're going to leave them off property. But then Wayside is saying, you know, I remember her saying, we've got people who are coming yes. in terrible shape. We don't have the medical staff. So it's almost like, you know, the, the, perhaps the hospital line may be here, but the, what the homeless resource folks can do is here, and there's this gap right. of now what? The, the wayside shelters problem is with the people then who are checked out and, and taken out or whatever, and or even brought to the shelter. That's fine until they're in bad medical shape. If they're in bad medical shape, and we highlighted one of those cases in part one of this investigation, um, where they still need a lot of assistance, they don't they don't have the training to do that bleeding all over the place or uh, can't they need to be able to you know attend to themselves go to the bathroom be able to do those things and when they can't do that then that's where they and they, she had a a ton of stories she just started rattling off for me that I couldn't get into in the story um a, a cases like that so that is a serious issue so you you, you see both sides mm -hmm. um there's a there's a gap in there somewhere that needs to be administered to and I have all sorts of people saying to me so what's the solution I, I don't know you know our job as journalists is to expose problems and situations we're not policymakers I don't know but you would think in a, in a compassionate community that Louisville bills itself as that somebody could come up with something I mean, I mean, I mean, potentially because you've got the city that's that's uh, uh, building that whole infrastructure of support services just a couple blocks from the station right <sighs> You know, it almost seems like, and this is not going to be the right term, but almost like maybe a nursing home type of thing that perhaps, you know, they could, perhaps. hospitals could, could transition some of these people to if they perhaps. don't. But again, you may run into the same issue where if they say, no, I don't want to go. Right. For whatever reason. Right. Now, what do you do? Nina was telling me at Hotel Louisville, which is not the homeless shelter, but 
At Hotel Louisville, they have a, there's a respite care program there, but they only have 21 beds. Mm. Four cases kind of like this, you know, where you still need medical care for the homeless. They, they only have 21 beds, and she was telling me that the criteria to get in there is, is rather steep. So they need something broader like that, it sounds like. But I'm, I'm just hoping to get this out there, report all sides, and try to get somebody to come up with something. Right. Because you can certainly see the hospital side of it, too. I mean, people coming in over 100 times a year, that's once every three days. Right. And that's a busy medical center, level one trauma center. Right. All right. Well, we thank you very much for joining us uh, today on uh, the troubleshooters behind the investigation. That's what went into that. I am sure you're going to be seeing many more follow-ups. Hopefully somebody starts pitching some kinds of solutions. In the meantime, keep sending in your tips to us via the troubleshooters tab at the top of wave3.com. For now, along with Mark Stevens, I'm John Bolt. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you again.